If everyone you knew did everything you did for their mind, body, and soul, would they be better off? If everyone you know imitated you and your life, your practices, the things that you do, would they be better off? So I'm not going to lie, we're struggling a little bit financially right now. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to find a better way to get what we need from, you know, a more economical location. I found this factory that um, that makes everything that we buy, like off Amazon, and it was way cheaper. And so I just started ordering direct from this factory. But when I started getting the products, it turned out they were just like, okay, they were like mediocre products. And it turned out this is just a satisfactory. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 135. I hope you enjoyed that dad joke. That's how we start every episode, so stick around for more amazing content like that. But it's so good to have you back. If this is your first time, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other f- people find it. And please make sure you visit our website at manafoodforthought, all spelled out, dot com. I guess at manafood for, sorry, manafoodforthought.com, <laughs> all spelled out, <laughs> and go... <laughs> and check it out (laughs) follow us on social media we have blogs all of our old podcast content and current podcasts including our weekly bible study as well so go do that Uh, you can click on the patreon tab become a patreon uh, supporter a financial sponsor for this podcast for as little as one dollar a month and the highest compliment you can pay this podcast is to and and to me is to i don't know i'm so tongue-tied and giggly anyway share this podcast with other people And when you do, especially on social media, share it on Instagram and tag us at Man of Food for Thought. Anyway, wow, that was hard to get through. (laughs) And yeah, let's go to Joy Junk and Jesus. So it's good to be back with y'all. My joy is that I am uh, 35 years old. I have lived 35 wonderful years so far and uh, looking forward to many more. And um, my, my love languages are like acts of service and receiving gifts. So stuff like around the holiday season, especially my birthday, Christmas, like it just really brings me a lot of joy when people like show that they're putting an effort to like go out of their way to do something nice for you, to get you something really intentional or kind. And so I just felt very loved um, on my birthday and and my wife and I um, and the kids celebrated a few days before my birthday so we could have the whole day and it just was really wonderful. So that's been my joy. My junk is that um, I've just been really lacking in focus and in discipline. I don't know if you're feeling this. I think it's part of the like contagion of the weather. When the weather gets like gloomier around fall time, moving into winter, you just want to be like cozy and snug. And, and even though I'm not thinking like, oh, it'd be really great to just be in my PJs and under a blanket watching TV, like I'm, I, my mentality's like that. And I just start wasting time more easily. It's hard for me to focus, hard for me to get things done. So. Um, yeah, that's just kind of junky. I don't know if you can relate to that too. And then you just start snacking more because you have free time and idle time. And they say like idle hands are the devil's playground and all of the good things and the disciplines and all of the hard work starts getting picked apart because you're, at least me, I'm not focusing on, on the discipline and the stuff that I need to be doing. So that's been a little junky, been affecting my like ability to focus and yeah. Um, and then my Jesus moment has been, uh, was yesterday um, so we had Bible study yesterday, as we always do, b- day before I record these, and we had probably our biggest Bible study we've we've had ever, or maybe at least not in a long time. We filled, I think, two-thirds of the hall, which was really great. Um, so good to see so many people there, and 
um, hope you come back. And if you don't know and you're in Orange County, please come to uh, the Bible study that I run on Monday nights at St. Tim's. Uh, but right before that, there was like a very last minute impromptu thing that our pastor, Father Patrick, wanted to do. And he wanted to do a holy hour, encourage people to come out and pray for um, the dignity of human life and for legislation supporting life to be protected and for legislation that is threatening human life, like uh, Prop 1 in California, uh, to not pass. And so today, as I'm recording, this is Election Day. Don't know really what the status of that is, but I just, there was, you know, hundred-some people in the church, and this wasn't even advertised. He mentioned it as an announcement after the Masses this past weekend, and that was really it. And still, like, you know, over 100 people came out to just pray. There wasn't any, you know, bells and whistles, no, like, you know, big lights, production, praise and worship thing. It was just to come sit and pray and be kind of spontaneously led by, by our pastor. So, um, yeah, it was really humbling to see how many people did that and then how many people stayed and came over for Bible study, which was really great. So, yeah, Jesus is uh, doing some, some really great stuff in my life and in people's lives and in our community and our parish, so that's really great. So, <clears throat> our episode this week, always we are focusing, at least at this point, on the second reading for this upcoming Sunday, little parts of it. And there's this part in the second reading, is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, Brothers and sisters, you know how one must imitate us. He goes on later and he says, rather, we wanted to present ourselves as a model for you. And then he criticizes and he says that we hear that some are conducting themselves among you in a disorderly way. And those things really stood out to me. You know, you're focusing on the fact that like they worked in such a way that they might present themselves as a model for others. That's what it meant for them to be passing on the good news of Jesus Christ, to be leaders in a church community. And that one of the biggest threats to that and difficulties in a church community was that some were not conducting themselves in an orderly way, that they're conducting themselves in a disorderly way. So I, I started thinking about like people in my life who I feel like are worthy of imitation and whether, you know, if I were to look at myself from an outside perspective, is my life worthy of imitation? I think I mentioned this maybe a few podcasts ago, but um, I heard on a podcast or, or somewhere in a talk, someone make the uh, the pose the question, like, if you were going to a graveyard with the intention of trying to raise someone from the dead through your prayer, who is one person living that you know who you would take with you and why? And it was, the question was posed to kind of show, like, when, when all come, everything comes down to it, like, we're not going to take the person who's the brilliant theologian or the person who is really great at, um, you know, gathering people and socializing or the person who has all these talents or whatever they may be, even though those are great things, the person who's very evangelistic. When it comes to that type of situation, we're going to take someone who can pray. We're going to take someone who can pray like real well. And when that question was posed, I knew immediately who my answer was. And my answer was my friend Marlo. And I remember when, um, my daughter Hannah, when she was five days old, she went what they call into the gray, meaning her vitals were not like gone, but they were um, they were dwindling and they didn't know why. And we called the emergency room or called the ER and they took her to the emergency room. And um, I remember driving over to the hospital following the ambulance that my wife and my daughter were in totally like. Unknow like totally not knowing what was going on, totally um, just paralyzed in fear and in my inability to do anything about it. And 
I knew I needed to pray, but I couldn't really find the words. And so I knew I needed someone to pray with me. And the first person I called was Marla and she picked up and she, or I think I left a quick message. She called me right back while I was still driving, like literally 30 seconds later and prayed with me on the phone. Um, and, and it was just incredible her and, and my friend, Laura, both of them are two people who I would bring, but I just it, immediately, you know, those people come to mind when you ask that question and that it really makes me think like, you know, what is it about who they are that makes me look at them as people whose lives are worthy of imitating in such a way that they're the people who I rely on when things hit the fan and I need people to pray with me. And is my life then worthy of imitation? <clears throat> Do other people look to me as that person? You know, when they're down and out, when everything seems like it's falling apart, like, and they're like, I have no idea what to do. I need to call someone. I need help. I need someone to pray with me. Am I on that list of people? And that's not for my own self-edification or my own pride. It's, it, it's living out what Paul is exhorting the community in Thessalonica in the second reading to do, is to live in an orderly way, live like and imitate the leaders, the disciples of Jesus that they met, and to not be hypocritical. I mean, Jesus preaches most frequently. The thing he preaches against most frequently is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy and unforgiveness are the two things. Hypocrisy and unforgiveness that he preaches about most frequently. And you could probably put with that also care for the poor and the oppressed and the, the marginalized. Those three things, top three. I mean, you'll, everything else you'll find maybe here or there where he mentions it. Probably even a lot of moral issues that we talk about in today's day and age and make super important. Not to say they're not important and not to say that Jesus doesn't think they're important. But recognize like that is what he saw was the biggest thing that he needed to rail against and say over and over and over and over and over again because it's such a cyclical part of the human condition that turns us away from the people that God is, is trying to form us into, who he created us to be. And so it you know, made me ask the question, if everyone you knew did everything you did for their mind, body, and soul, would they be better off? If everyone you know imitated you, and your life, your practices, the things that you do, would they be better off? Because that question, what it really does, it really kind of illuminates like what in your life is essential, what is just a gimmick, what is just for yourself, what is really bearing fruit, and what's not. You know, because there's a lot of things that people do or that people, you know, um, habits people adopt just because they look good. I mean, I know so many people. <laughs> And maybe don't know them personally, but I see them. I, I see so many people at my gym who come in with full makeup and eyelash extensions on, all done up already. And they walk for a little bit on the treadmill. They do some stretching and they do some light lifts and they leave halfway through the workout. And it's just they just belong to this gym because they know it's a thing that people are supposed to do who appear healthy and fit and like, you know, they have this enviable lifestyle. And we do that in religion all the time. We do that in ministry all the time. You know, like we we uh, uh, glitter things up with uh, big production and all these different efforts and, you know, big uh, big music, big lights and, and, and technology. And, and I'm not condemning any of that. But I'm saying if like that's the leg that we're standing on thinking like that's the thing that we need then we're going to miss the substantial thing that really needs to happen in ministry that drew a hundred plus people to prayer uh, um, last night at my parish to just pray for the unborn and pray for legislation that protects them is that is Jesus at the heart of it? Is the Eucharist at the heart of it? 
or is it just a gimmick? And when it comes to your faith life and my faith life, is Jesus at the heart of it? Or is what I do just a gimmick? Is what I do just to appear religious? Do I just have these different practices of praying like the Liturgy of the Hours or the Angelus at noon or the Divine Mercy Chaplet at three or the Daily Rosary or reading my Bible because I want to be able to tell people I read the Bible every day or I've read the whole Bible cover to cover or, yeah, I pray the Rosary every day. Why don't you? Do I want that as some kind of spiritual resume or am I seeking to live my life in such a way that my life is worthy of imitation? And inspires others to live in a more orderly way because they look at my life and they say, wow, there's something about you that's different. I was just talking to someone last night about how do you evangelize in the workplace and in a culture that is very antithetical to religion and often very hostile to it without feeling very aggressive or preachy. And I said to this person, well, there are certain things that you can control that are not very aggressive. You know, you can pray over your meals and, and bless your food. Um, and do that visibly by making the sign of the cross when you're eating in your workplace. When people sneeze, you can say, God bless you. When people are upset, you can ask uh, if you can pray for them or how you can pray for them. Uh, when people ask you about, hey, how was your weekend? You can say, oh, I went to Mass. You can share about your experience at church. Um, and even like, oh, I went to Mass and the priest said something like this. So I've been thinking about that. And it just really is like jump jump-starting me today. And thanks for asking, how are you? You know, just like it's it's nothing else. Like, we treat it like it's this, like, secret thing, but it's just, you know, we should be able to talk about it as, like, part of our life, just like we talk about everything else, you know? And then, so I said, do that, but then what I said is focus less on you having to go bring this to others, and instead, live your life in such a way that others are inspired to come to you. And that is a, it's a big demand. It's not permission to be passive or silent in your faith speak up when necessary. You know, if people bring up religion around you or to you, like, don't shy away from standing up for what's true. But also recognize, like, people are attracted to that living witness. And they know, I mean, it's one of the biggest criticisms people have of religion is hypocrisy. And people, you know, the scandals of the church, people not living in the way that they're telling people to live. And yes, like, people often don't understand the fact that, like, the church is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And so we're a big, messy human family that's going to mess up all the time and fully acknowledges that we mess up all the time every time we go to confession. And th that's the whole reason we need a Savior is because we need to be saved. We can't save ourselves because we are utterly in despair because of our sin. We're so broken and wrecked by it as a just a, a population. So on one hand, people just don't recognize that. But on the other hand, there is validity to that, that like— what people are really pointing out is not that we're not perfect, is that, that they don't think we're making a sincere enough effort to do the things that Jesus taught. And they see that lived out in corruption, in embezzlement and fraud, in scandal, in immorality, and all these different things they see plaguing the leadership in different parishes and different denominations of Christianity. It's not just in Catholicism. It's all over the place. And so as we read the second reading and as you listen to it this week and pray through it in preparation for this Sunday— um, to really think about that, like, is your life worthy of imitation? There's some other areas, you know, I want to highlight in Scripture that support this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus is talking about, like, we don't hide our light under a bushel basket. And so he says, just so your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. So what Jesus is saying here is what you, sh what you should be focusing is so that people will see you, 
but not just so that they'll see you, so that they will glorify God. That's what I mean about inspiring other people to come to you, not to be a, be attached to you, but to ask, why is it that you have this life? What is it about you and the way that you live that's so different from my life? Very famous one from Romans chapter 12, first few verses. Um, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may also discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. I love that that, you know, that Romans 12, 2 is quoted a lot. Do not conform yourselves to this age. But I love that right before it, Paul writing to the Romans says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because in order to not conform to this age, it means you have to be set apart. It means that you have to be willing to lay down your life and say like, okay, people can, utter, people can lead me to the same destination that Jesus had on the cross. They can utterly persecute me, form completely incorrect opinions about me, presuming guilt where there is innocence, presuming evil where there is truth and goodness, and I will continue to remain on mission, and I will not back down. I will not conform. Ephesians chapter 5 uh, verses 1 through 5 is a whole great section about this, but the first verse, just be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And my kids, you know, they they look up to me. They look up to my wife. Like, they want to be just like us, especially when they're very young. That's how they learn everything that they do. And it's not just genetics that makes them like us. It's environment. They develop our mannerisms, our language, our different speaking habits. It's so funny. When I come home from the gym and I tell my wife about the workout, if she's going to the gym later that day, I try and tell her in a detailed way so she, she kind of knows what to expect. And then my daughter starts using all the language, but she doesn't really know what it means. So she's like, you know, when I went to my gym, I got all these points because I did this many, I did 40,000 reps of treadmill and she just used she just throws gym language out there but she's trying to imitate she's trying to imitate us and so even though we cannot in this life be perfect like god is we can seek to imitate him and as we do we will conform to his likeness we will become more and more like him and the people he created us to be in first timothy chapter four paul is writing to timothy one of his um, traveling companions who he mentored and who became the first bishop of ephesus and he tells him, uh, don't let anyone have contempt for your youth, but set an example for those who believe in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. So it doesn't matter if you're in a position of leadership, if you're old, you're young, you're new in the faith, you've been a cradle Catholic, uh, whatever it is, if you're a big sinner or you really don't struggle with that much, praise God, wherever you are in between, you have the opportunity and the responsibility to be an example for those who believe and those who don't believe. And to do that in how you talk, and how you act, and how you love, and how you believe and pray, your faith, and your purity, and how you interact in your relationships, and respect and honor the dignity of other people, seeking to love them and will their good, not to use them for your own purposes, whether that be emotionally manipulative for your own success, or even physically in some relationships. And then two more from the book of James. James chapter 1 verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, his religion is in vain. I love this verse. And I just came across it. I mean, I'm sure I've read it before, but like it just really struck me because it bothers me so much how many Christians and Catholics out there use crass language when they're just in familiar company and get more inappropriate in their joking and in their humor when, they're, when they think they're just around friends or more exclusive. Like, you know, 
um, I don't know. It just it disappoints me. And I see this in the hierarchy of different religious institutions and organizations. I see it in different churches and among different leaders and pastors and dioceses. And it's just I'm not expecting anybody to be perfect. And I'm far from perfect, too. Sometimes I'll let something slip. But there's certain like things, like certain words and certain language and certain types of humor that I'm just like, no, not even no Catholic, but no person should really do this. And when any person does it, I kind of immediately and this probably isn't good of me, but I, I mean, it's very difficult for me not to make a snap judgment about that person and to immediately feel like, okay, this person just isn't like mature, isn't professional, isn't as holy as I thought they were, you know, et cetera. And, and there might be some truth in that. And so I think, A, I need to be sure that I'm not taking that judgment too far and not giving them second chances or treating them differently as a result and not loving them. But secondly, I also I think it's because I'm onto something there, and I have to be conscious of how am I being viewed by others as a person who's in a position of leadership and authority in the church. How am I influencing others? Because I do have an influence over others, and the ministries that I lead, and the people that I accompany, and the friends that I have, and the people who see me as a uh, a public figure in some sense, a representative of the church. I am a walking symbol, and so everything that I do and say is going to be judged under a microscope um, more so than the average person. And also in the book of James, uh, chapter 3, it says in the first few verses, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you realize that we will be judged more strictly, for we all fall short in many respects. If anyone does not fall short in speech, he is a perfect man, able to bride, bridle his whole body also. So Paul, or, uh, sorry, James is, is saying here, like, don't uh, don't be hasty to be a, a representative of faith to others, to be in a position of leadership, to be a, a speaker, to be a, um, you know, uh, I don't know, an influencer, someone popular in a religious circle, um, because you think it might give you some kind of, you know, holy fame or something like that. Um, or don't, I could even interpret this as like, don't seek to um, be kind of a holier than thou person where you think like, okay, just because I'm walking this life, that means I'm I'm better than other people and that other people look to me as an influence and that's good for me. No, like we're going to be judged more harshly. The more faithful, the more responsibility we have, especially being stewards of other people's souls, people like me in a position of ministry and leadership, people um, like me also in the sense that I'm a father of a family. Like I'm going to be judged for the stewardship I have over the faith of my wife and my children. And yes, of course, they have their personal responsibility and free will. But part of my role as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus, is to ensure that they are walking on the right path as best I can and praying for them and encouraging and inviting them to do that as best I can, willing to lay down my life and to lead not just with word but with example, to be an imitator of God as his beloved child. Because eventually everyone has to make that choice, but they will learn from the practices that they see bearing fruit in the people around them. And if I'm not a person of joy and exuberance and peace and love and faith and hope, and if I don't live that out, it doesn't matter how convincing my arguments are. There's still going to be so many more hurdles to overcome and hesitancy on the part of the people I'm seeking to evangelize, even in my own family, if I'm not living it out. And you see this borne out in the statistics that parents who go to church, but if they don't talk about faith in the home, if it's not something lived out, if they don't pray together, um, they might as well not going be going to church because it really doesn't make a statistical long-term um, influence or um, difference in the faith life of that child. It just doesn't. That's not what the statistics say. 
It's only when both parents, especially the father, because the father is who we learn our habits from. He's the first other that we observe. We see him as what to do, how we are, versus we look to our mother as to how uh, we see ourselves, our sense of identity and self. In general, of course, there's obviously some crossover there. But if both parents, especially the father, do this, uh, practice the faith, actively live it out, talk about it in the home, it's a priority in both of their lives, it surpasses all other priorities, then you're in the 80th percentile in most studies that the children are going to carry on the faith. And so are we living our faith lives in such a way that they are worthy of imitation? If everyone that you knew immediately adopted all of your spiritual religious practices, would they be better off? And do your spiritual and religious practices just end at your faith? Or do they recognize you are a soul and a body? And do they help you be disciplined in the ways that you need to avoid sin and vice in other physical aspects of your life or in your mental health? Because you can be someone who prays all the time, but if you are mentally a wreck, emotionally a wreck, if you're physically a wreck and not, uh, not taking care of yourself, there's going to be far less about you that people are going to see as worthy of imitation. And I know some of that is beyond our control. Some of it is things that we just have genetically that we have to deal with, but it's about effort. Hypocrisy, the reason why people call it out so much, I'll say it again, is not, I think, because they expect people who are uh, religious to be perfect. It's that they're expecting them to put in an effort and be humble and honest when they're not matching that level of perfection they're striving for, which is always, you know, we always need to have the ability to lead with humility and not expect or act in such a way that we've got it all together and that everyone should just get up to our level, but to recognize like, no, like my level is, is way down here. And the only thing that's making it possible for me not to sink in a pit of sin, despair, suffering, torment, and destruction is the fact that Jesus is giving me and has given me a second chance, a new life, a new self, the opportunity for salvation. He's won that for me on the cross. He's defeated sin and death. And if that good news, the best news in all of human history, if that doesn't change you, if it's not visibly apparent in how you live your life, that you are believing and living out good news, then why would anyone believe you? Why would anyone seek to imitate you? Why would anyone want to be faithful? Think about how joyful we are when we tell people really good news. Like imagine you wanted to tell, you know, like the people closest to you who you trusted and who you were, were doing life with you, your spouse, your family, whoever it was, that you just won the lottery. You know, and, and you had all these great, you know, all these worries or, or difficulties financially or plans that you have. All this stuff could now like be solved and could happen. And just the good news, like that you'd be able to share that with them and celebrate with them. Or when you're sharing the news of a new child or of an engagement or whatever it is, like all of that, we have such exuberance and excitement. Do we have that for the gospel? And is our life day in and day out a living visual testament to that truth and that reality? So I encourage you this week, think about some of those people in your life who are worthy of imitation. Who are the people that you would call if you were tasked with the mission to go to a cemetery and raise the dead through your prayer, if you could bring one person that is alive that you know, and don't give me the technical like Jesus is alive, like yes, of course he is, but no, and the saints are alive, yes, but no, someone on earth right now, a real living 
you know, a person who's walking this earth right now that you know, who would you bring with you? And what is it about them that makes you choose them? Are there similar things about you? And if not, why? You know, would anyone pick you? Would anyone pick you? I don't want to make you feel like the last kid picked for dodgeball, but it is a convicting question because we need to be people of prayer. People who are so radically trusting in God and faithful that miraculous things can happen through that faith. And if they're not happening, then there's an obstacle there. There's some kind of distrust. There's some kind of, you know, whatever it is needs to be dealt with. Is your life worthy of imitation? That is all I have for you this week. I pray that that is helpful for you and challenging in a good way, convicting and encouraging for you to uh, refocus your life on the things that the Lord is seeking to, uh, to expose so that you can be deeper in relationship with him, more aware of his love for you, more aware of the miraculous ways that he wants to work in and through you. God bless you, and until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Thank you.